Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. How powerful is the Cox Network? So powerful that one day, the internet will let your doctor perform miracles from thousands of miles away. Connecting to remote operating room. Giving a whole new meaning to the term house call. Operation complete. The Cox Network. With gig speeds everywhere, it's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, bringing us closer. In Cox serviceable areas, speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms apply. Other restrictions may apply. There's three sides to every story. There's my side, your side, and the truth. Which Kelly are you? Edward. People call me Ned. I photograph what my conscience asks me to. Mad Max 2. It's my kind of movie. Shut up! Shut up! Your friend can't come back, Sarge. Oh, he's disabled. I'm this carer. You're blind. He's an equal opportunity employer. The kids who are sick cannot do the hip hop anymore. G'day, folks, and welcome to another episode of The Curb. My name is Andrew Pierce, and this right here is the podcast that's all about Australian film, Australian culture, and a whole bunch more. This podcast is recorded in the lands of the Wajak people of the Noongar Nation and pay respects to their elders, both past, present, and emerging. On this particular episode, well, every so often I get an email in my inbox that is a little bit of a surprise, and sometimes I'm really happy to, to find out what it is that I'm asked to interview or uh, cover or review or anything like that. And sometimes there is a bit of a surprise to what comes. I watched the trailer for this documentary, Girl Like You, uh, a couple of days before I got this interview request. And to be honest, uh, I've been so snowed under with doing interviews and reviews for the Sydney Film Festival that I was just a bit like, I really want to I really want to interview the filmmakers here, but I won't reach out because I've got so much on my plate that I will just let fate decide if it's going to happen or not. And sure enough, it's happened. Because, <laughs> of course, you're here listening to this interview. Uh, so I interviewed the co-directors, Francis Elliott and Samantha Marlowe, who, over six years, they followed two people, Elle Walsh and Lauren Black, who are in a relationship. And at the beginning of the film, uh, Elle comes out as transgender. To Lauren and the film Girl Like You follows Elle's transition and the complications that arise in their relationship as they go through this journey of transition and deciding what they want to do with their relationship. It's a really complex film and I mean there's a re-listening to my interview here there's a few words which kind of stick out and the word that I use the most is powerful. It is a very, very powerful documentary, and I apologize that I uh, mentioned that word multiple times throughout the film, the uh, interview that you're about to listen to, but it strikes as the most appropriate word that, that fits for Girl Like You, because it is powerful. We don't really get to see documentaries about trans stories all that much, especially in Australia. As I mentioned in the interview, there's uh, it's not just me. Um, which is a really wonderful documentary that Jonathan Messer did a few years ago. And that's really about it. Most of the trans stories take place in narrative or fictional films. And they're mostly featuring cisgender actors in their the trans roles. So the authenticity just is not there. And you don't get any more authentic than real life. Hence why it's a documentary. Uh, but I was really quite 
left stunned by this film and a little bit shaken because I think that there is certainly something that even if you're not in a relationship where your partner or yourself is trans, there are aspects of this story that are universal. There are aspects of being there to support others that are universal. And with that in mind, I do want to kind of preface this interview with there being possibility of uh, things that might be a little bit triggering, whether it's talking about being uh, supporters fatigue or something like that, or uh, the stress and the strain of mental illness, those kinds of things. So keep that in mind as you listen to this. I don't think that we go too heavily into that subject, but I think it's, it's worthwhile being forewarned about that. I think this is a really powerful film. Again, there's, <laughs> there's that word. <laughs> sorry, folks. Sorry. But it is a powerful film. Uh, and it is going to be screening this coming Sunday, the 7th of November, 2021 at 9.30 p.m. on ABC TV+. Plus, and then subsequently on Tuesday, the 9th of November at 9.30 p.m. on ABC. And then it will also be available to watch an ABC iView at which you can watch it your own leisure. I really highly recommend it. It is an hour and 10, hour and 15 minutes or so to watch. And I think that is really brilliant stuff. So enough of me yammering on and uh, praising this film to, to no end. This is not about me. Uh, this is about Francis and Sam's work on the film. And it's also about Elle and Lauren's journey together. Let's li listen to a little bit of the trailer. <laughs> I'm going to start doing a video diary recording the way I'm feeling. I'm transgender. My gender doesn't match my body. Just bring it along here and only stop about there. I consider myself a straight female and I have a boyfriend who also considers themselves to be a male and a female. So that's like well confusing. What happens to Lauren's neck? when it's touched. Part of the reason why I want to transition, I feel too much like the man in the relationship. <laughs> I fell in love with some of those male traits and those male characteristics. I need to switch genders. I need to make the change. Thank you both for joining me today to talk about this beautiful, powerful documentary, Girl Like You. Uh, as this is an audio podcast, if you could both introduce yourself for the listeners and uh, tell yourselves what your role is with the film as well. Uh, okay, so my name is Frances Elliott. I'm the co-writer, director, editor and co-producer of Girl Like You. And, yeah, my name's Samantha Marlowe and I'm the co-writer, co-director, co-editor, co-producer <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah. Wearing lots of hats. This is uh, indie film at its finest, so congratulations to you both. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, very powerful. Um I want to start off with a question which the film kind of wraps up with, which is, if you could tell yourselves anything at the beginning of filming, what would you say? Um, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think the, the thing that I would probably tell myself, that the biggest thing that me and Sam learned in terms of um, documentary filmmaking is we sort of started the process as very much the sort of old-fashioned way of making documentaries, which is just sort of sitting them down and just having really long conversations um, in sit-down interviews. And I guess what we sort of realised throughout the evolution of telling the story is a better way to make documentaries and get your point across is actually just filming people in their natural state and just watching it happen. Um, so our documentary really evolved over time for to being quite interview-heavy, to being more cinema verite, 
Um, and I think that's something that we will definitely go on with in our next documentaries because, you know, you can tell so much about, you know, the couple and how they're going and, and where, they're, where their relationship is at by just wanting to interact with each other and being put in, set, in different settings with different people rather than sitting down and asking them about it. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely the biggest thing I learned from it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was a huge one. And I think another one as well is just if we had known that it was going to be kind of a six-year time frame at the beginning, I just don't know how we even would have processed that. I think Francis and I were really naive at the beginning. We kind of thought we'll sit down, you know, we'll we'll film Elle's transition. It'll be, you know, a year, a year and a half, and then we'll kind of pump out a documentary and we'll have this great kind of piece of reference for the queer community and the trans community. But it just kind of evolved from there. We couldn't stop filming. We, the, the, you know, we had to keep filming the story. Um, and, and also just the road to getting it funded as well. It was just a really, really long road to getting it funded. And I, we just had no concept of that, I guess, as emerging filmmakers, you know, like in our early 20s. Um, you know, we kind of thought we would be able to do a couple of applications here and there and maybe, you know, the story is so great and, um, you know, the story needs to be told. We were so passionate about the story that we just thought that, you know, it was a shoe-in to kind of get funding, but it was it turned out to be such a longer journey than that as well. So I guess if I, if I could, that was a great question, if we could tell ourselves something back there, definitely the style aspect and also just prepare yourself for... Um, the work that's to come. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm almost glad that we didn't know that it was going to be six years <laughs> at the beginning of it because, um, you know, like as Sam said, we really thought that Elle would sort of immediately start transitioning and we could cover it in a year, but the reality was is that Elle didn't make the decision to transition until two years into our filming. Um, and then, you know, she's still transitioning today. You know, a transition takes a really, really long amount of time and we definitely didn't know that at the beginning. <laughs> Yeah, I think and that's one of the things which I'm really grateful that these films exist because the public consciousness of what it means to go through a transition is, oh, you just start taking pills and suddenly, you know, you've got boobs and you're a woman or, you know, your boobs start to disappear and you're a man and things like that. And it's like, no, that's not how things work. It is a very long process. It's not just an overnight thing. And there is a mental health aspect to it too, which is all encompassed in the film in such a powerful, powerful manner. You, yeah. you kind of hinted at it in your response there before, but did you have an idea of the complexity of what you were engaging with when you started? Yeah, we definitely didn't. Like you said, I think Francis and I, we, we were really ignorant at the beginning of the filmmaking too, even though Elle was a close friend of ours and we cared about her deeply and we had long conversations with her. It was really a journey of us learning all of the complexities surrounding a gender transition, the time, the, the social, um, emotional, mental, financial factors that come into that. Um, and just, and also just, you know, what we, the part of the film that we're, we're proud that we covered is kind of just Elle's confusion on where she kind of sat within the gender spectrum and her kind of coming to that conclusion in her own way, she went in on a journey herself in learning, like, what does it mean to be male or female? It's not just 
masculine or feminine qualities there's so much more to that so yeah I think all of us kind of went through a journey of learning about all those complexities like you said yeah and we really wanted to cover that aspect of of Elle sort of juggling because I feel like in a lot of in a lot of transgender narratives that we saw it's sort of this thing that happens where you know transgender people often say you know I knew since I was four years old you know and it was and and internally I knew exactly what I wanted to be and it was just the outside world who was sort of pushing back so I couldn't go on hormones until I did all these things but we also wanted to normalize the fact that it's like you know it's a big decision and it's okay not to be sure and you know I think Elle did it very responsibly in the way that she, um, you know, she really didn't jump headfirst into it until she was sure. And we really like that period of indecision in the film um, and like sort of self-doubt and all that sort of stuff. The film is not just about Elle's transition, but it's also about her relationship with Lauren as well. And which is such a, a, it's got to be such a difficult thing to get them to, be open and accept that the cameras are there and filming their lives. And there is a really powerful moment where Lauren's at work and everybody's like, why are these people stalking you? Why are they stalking you? And the openness of A, why you're there filming her and B, what's going on in her personal life is really difficult for her to engage with, especially in working in the drag racing uh, scene. What kind of conversation did you have with both Elle and Lauren as the film was going along? like to start off with and then as the years went on about how the narrative was being presented about their relationship. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting with us. We're kind of in, we're in such a unique situation where as filmmakers, we're so lucky with Ellen Lauren because their trust, our friendship allowed them to trust us so much that they, they would just, there was no conversation had. They would just be as candid and as raw and it was it was like sitting on a couch with your friend and having a conversation and I think that that's what there's a lot of beauty that, um, that kind of shows through in the film because they can, they're just saying how they feel in that moment, kind of wearing their hearts on their sleeve. Um, and so we, you know, we never really had to have a conversation where we sat down and pitched to them we want you to be, you know, just let it all, let the walls down because the trust was already there with them. And, um, yeah, I think for us as well, Francis, you could probably speak more to when boundaries were crossed with, with Lauren. Like, we, you know, we were just filming for six years. Yeah, yeah so, so I think, yeah, it was, it was um, they were really great with sort of opening up to us and I think that that was because we were such close friends with them that we, it was all, it was kind of just like we were hanging out and filming. And I remember um, Lauren saying at one point really on, really early on, being like, oh, I understand how the Kardashians feel now because you just, after a while you just become so, like oblivious to the cameras because they're always there that you just sort of ignore them and and that's that which I thought was really funny um but there were definitely moments where we did um sort of push the boundaries a bit and I know um you know one of the conversations that we had with Lauren was that um there's a clip in the documentary which is really important to the documentary and it's when we're at a party and um Lauren's sort of having a breakdown in the kitchen with Elle um, and she's sort of speaking about how she's, she, um, she has, you know, compassion fatigue and supporters fatigue. Um, and that sort of, the filming of that took place, I filmed that on my iPhone when we're at a party. And that was one of those things that, you know, we discussed on camera later where Lauren was like, 
you know, I understand the importance of that being in the film because it represents so clearly where I was and was absolutely the bottom of, you know, what I went to. But, you know, at a certain point you're like, you're my friend, we're at a party, you know, I don't want you to film me when I'm, when I'm crying. So I, I know that was sort of one of, her, one of her limits. But at the same time, Lauren is very, and they both are, are very understanding of, of um, how those parts of the film were crucial to showing the audience really how, how bad things were for them at that time and, and what they were going through emotionally. When you kicked off, as you're talking about trans narratives in films and documentaries before, were there any particular films that you had looked at as kind of templates of what to follow or what not to do with, with depicting trans stories on, on film, especially in documentaries? Yeah, well, it was actually a really, you know, interesting thing when we first started making the film and we were searching around for reference films within, you know, transgender content and relationships and there just wasn't any. There wasn't any and there was nothing in Australia and there was barely anything overseas and that's why it became super crucial for us to kind of tell this story because we realised and also through having a relationship with Elle and you can see in the film that a, a really big part of Elle's journey to deciding whether or not to take hormones is her kind of scouring the internet for answers because there isn't any clear-cut Bible for her to go she didn't have anyone really to relate to. So she's kind of going on YouTube and looking for things here and there. And Francis and I found ourselves doing as well, just trying to find content anywhere. Um, I'd seen a couple of things which, were, you know, had really um, piqued my interest, like Jazz Jenning, but that was a YouTube series at the time and we just wanted to make something that was mainstream and, you know, accessible. Yeah, and one of the sort of initial conversations that we had with with Lauren was sort of, and with Elle, is that empathy for them that they sort of didn't have anything that reflected what they were going through. You know, they couldn't talk to people around them in the same way that we could um, when we're in a cisgender relationship about what we were going through. And we really wanted this film to be something that transgender people could look at and see themselves represented properly on the big screen and as well trans people um, with transgender partners to reference their experience and feel sort of seen and heard in this documentary. So, you know, we really wanted this to kind of be the, the point of reference for all those people. Yeah, I that was one of the things which I'd, I'd noticed and, and have noticed throughout the years is that trans narratives are, have traditionally been shown either by cisgender actor, actors or actresses like, you know, Eddie Redmayne and, uh, and, Sure, you know, they get Oscar nominations and things like that, but there's no authenticity there and they're often narrative films. Whereas in the documentary realm, I can only think of, you know, outside of this film, there's, it's not just you, uh, Jonathan Messer's documentary, which um, screened at Revelation a few years ago, and then Disclosure, which is on Netflix. Yes. And that's really about it. And both of those came out during the, the essentially the production of this. So it's, it's really great to see that this exists because of that authenticity, because of then to have these stories shown outside of YouTube. Um, you know, that, that is a very helpful avenue. And it, as shown throughout the film, that is very helpful for folks who are going through transitions or partners who don't know what to do and things like that. Yeah. And, and we, we definitely, we, we made, we sort of made a conscious choice that we wanted to put some really global and universal themes in this documentary 
you know, themes of love and heartbreak and self-sacrifice and, you know, things that pretty much everyone can relate to because we didn't want this film to just be for the LGBTQI community. We wanted it to be for everyone and hit a really mainstream audience Um, because, as well, we wanted it to be sort of um, something that cis people could watch and sort of take down their their own biases that they have about transgender people and to normalise the transgender relationships that are going on around us. You know, I think a lot of times, um, you know, a lot of cis people see transgender relationships and queer relationships as kind of other to their own. But I think when you watch Ellen Lauren's story, you you can kind of connect to them on an innate human level and sort of see, I I know a lot of people after the film was going, oh, I relate to their relationship so much and, you know, I had a partner who did this and I didn't have a partner who did that. So it's sort of connecting people in a way that um, sort of drops their own biases around transgender relationships is what we're really seeking to do. Yeah. And certainly for, for Lauren's aspect, Lauren's story, there was a part of that for me that I resonated with, with supporters fatigue. And you know, I haven't gone through a relation where I've lived with somebody who was going through a transition, but I've experienced supporters fatigue and I know what that feels like. And there's that there is so much in here that is relatable in so many different ways, whether it's to a relationship itself or being friends and having queer friends who are coming out and supporting them through their journey. And then also hearing their frustrations as well. Like all they talk about is being trans and I just want a bit of peace and quiet. Yeah. And in those moments is comedy and sadness as well. Mm. With six years of footage, how do you kind of pick what's the best thing to show that would represent and support the narrative as a whole? Oh, (laughs) a lot of, you know, a lot of time in post-production. Francis and I spent a lot of time just going throughout the whole process because, as you said, it's classic indie film filmmaking where it's just us. It really was just Francis and I. We would just watch every shoot that was shot. We would log it personally. This is before the days of putting it in and, you know, getting spat out transcribes. But that was really valuable to us in a lot of ways because we knew all of these interviews kind of back to front and we knew all everything that was discussed within them. So when it came to the writing process or finally, you know, piecing it together at the end, we spent a lot of time and thought into how we were going to structure this film. And Frances can talk a little bit more to her because she comes from a background of writing. So it was super valuable for this process to just kind of be able to follow the drama structure that Frances has followed in previous um, films that she's made. Yeah, yeah. So I come from a um, drama writing background and I spend a lot of times in writers' rooms and, you know, conceptualising TV and and film ideas and stuff like that. Um, And so me and Sam employed the um, three-act structure in this film um, that drama uses, which, which basically follows the character's emotional journey. So you have sort of like a flawed, troubled character at the centre of it who who goes through a tr- an emotional journey and a transformation on screen. And that helped us a lot in terms of putting this film together and making it as sort of potent as we possibly could um, because we really sort of followed the structural things in drama which, which make it as dramatic and engaging as possible. Yeah, it is supremely engaging. You've, you know, it's, it's a really powerful, powerful film, as I keep on saying. Uh, I... I curious where you plan to go from here like is this kind of the field that you aim to to continue working with 
and certainly knowing that this one six years, uh, how will you address the next one and, and try and approach something that might happen quicker or, or will you still stick with a six year plan? Um, yeah, so so we our plan is to move forward in a very similar similar way. So me and Sam want to keep directing everything, and and also we're going you know we're working with our producer Cody, who played a really big role in getting Girl IQ financed, um, and sort of helping us through that production. So we're going to sort of move forward in a similar way. Um, we are in pre production for our next um, feature documentary, which is um, it follows Renee Gracie. She's um, she's one of Australia's first um, like supercar stars. She was the first female to race in Bathurst in 17 years, um, and she kind of got pushed out of the industry due to sexism and being sexualized because she's a young, beautiful woman. And she's now um, turned to OnlyFans, and she's actually um, Australia's number one earner on OnlyFans. Um, so where where she she is so interesting and so amazing. So so where um. We're going forward with, and it explores a lot of sort of similar themes that we we are really interested in, which is sexuality and gender and, um, you know, feminism and all that sort of stuff. Um, in terms of the six-year thing, I, I certainly have not take us that long. <laughs> I think, you know, the, the really good thing about Girl Like You is um, when we were trying to get it funded, we sort of really didn't have anything to show as proof that we could do it. Um, we were pretty much like, you know, we had a couple of short documentaries that had done quite well in the festival circuit, but no proof of make a feature film, which is a completely different kettle of fish. I think now we do have Girl Like You. I, I'm hoping the, the funding process will be a bit easier um, in terms of getting it funded. And I think, you know, when, when money comes, it, it, it kind of kicks, you know, kicks things along in a, in a faster gear. We had to do things with Girl Like You very differently because we just had no budget for five years, you know. Everyone was making it as a passion project. Um, but I think definitely me and Sam want to continue on the, on the same route and we sort of put at the centre of filmmaking connection and empathy and discovery um, and we want to keep, do, keep doing that. I think that's, that's really important. Um, I've talked to Cody before. I love Cody's work. He's certainly one of the most exciting producers that's working around today, uh, especially in, in Western Australia, supporting projects like yourselves and Sparkles, which I'm head over heels for that short film as well. What's it like working with Cody? Oh, Cody is a powerhouse. She is a, she's just born to be a producer. Um, she's born to be a creative we got really lucky with Cody because at the beginning of our Girl Like You journey, we were all kind of emerging filmmakers. We're all roughly around the same age and we were all like Cody was just, more, you know, we pitched the project to her and she was instantly on board. And kind of ha- to have her working on this project, you know, as a passion project, like Frances said, for five years and just absolutely exhausting every avenue to for us and she did say um cody said to us early on i will get this film financed and she was very serious about that and she quite simply did not stop until she did (laughs) um so yeah one of cody's specialties is getting films financed and she's very very good at it um and we're just so lucky to have her she's she's very across everything she has great relationships with everyone and yeah we just yeah we love her (laughs) Shout out, Cody. It's it's nice when you get a producer like that because, you know, for me, somebody who enjoys watching Australian films, you know, there there are so many emerging filmmakers like themselves, and sometimes I don't know anything about the project, and I'm like, oh, just pop this on, watch it, and enjoy it. 
But then you see a name like Cody and I'm like, yep, I can trust everything that is going on here. Uh, you know, because I, t- I try and not read anything about the film before I see it. I try not to kind of focus and just look at names and then, yeah, can see oh, Cody's involved. Great. I, I think I think she she would be very, very happy to hear that because she she, you know, she makes a lot of really conscious decisions about what films she wants to be putting into the world, you know, like and um, and really sort of selects them quite carefully. So I think she'd be really happy to hear that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think she does a great job. And, you know, yeah. supporting filmmakers like yourselves is really important too. How much how much does the identity of being a Western Australian play into being filmmakers for you? Uh, this film really embraces the WA art scene, both film and music as well. Uh, there's some really great shots of, of concerts and then obviously a, a who's who of the the um, Australian WA music scene appears throughout the film in some different capacities, whether it's uh, via social media or in person. So yeah, how, how important is that to you as filmmakers? Yeah. Sorry, you go ahead, Sam. Sorry. Um, it's, it's hugely important to us. Um, we're really lucky in WA because there just is a exceptional amount of female documentary filmmakers within the WA industry which is really amazing and it just feels like we're kind of in this new wave where with all these female filmmakers of which are all kind of you know emerging and in the same space as us we're all just looking at things through a female lens which is something that Frances and I are super conscious with with the films that we're making as well and the themes that we're exploring so I think in that sense just having you know amazing filmmakers within this industry that are female peers is is great as well. Yeah, that was really important for Sam and I, you know, like we had a lot of sort of female directing mentors and, um, you know, people that we could go to to sort of help us through it. That was really important. And also, you know, for us, the telling of this story, it's, it's quite, you know, like you sort of touched on before, our idea of what transitioning is sort of comes from like, a, a, you know, an American upper class version of it, which is, you know, people like Caitlyn Jenner who sort of go behind closed doors for a couple of months and come out completely transformed. But the reality is Ellen and Lauren were living in sort of middle class Western Australia and their musicians and their artists um, and, and the whole process of transitioning within that sort of um, area is very very different because it means they don't have a lot a lot of access to money they can't really be they can't afford to go to therapy you know it's it's such a different journey and so you know sam and i really wanted to make some conscious efforts within this film to like really paint a picture of the the um, landscape that they're going through this in so for example we, we we kept the characters quite contained because their, you know, what they were going through was very much behind closed doors and only shared with the, pe- the people closest to them. You know, at one point in the journey, we were like, we're going to talk to endocrinologists and doctors and surgeons and all that sort of stuff. And then we were like, no, you know, that's not the reality of, of what they're doing and, and their experience. Um, and also, you know, in WA and largely the world, the world around them is so um, gendered. So we really wanted to represent that in the film, you know, really little things about the film um, are really conscious choices that Sam and I are making. So every every sort of cutaway 
in the film and, and B-roll, we've made sure to include gendered aspects of the world around them. So, you know, when we do a wide shot of their house, we have a woman with a pram walking past and a sort of nuclear family walking past and, you know, stuff like that to just show really what um, Ellen Warren are, are, are up against. I think that's one of the things that is really powerful too about the film is how those gender biases just slip into how we talk about things. There is this organic transition from the dead naming of Elle and, you know, calling her him in the beginning when people are getting bull with the transition and, and, you know, friends and, and family members and especially Lauren is dealing with the reality of what their future is like together. And there's that really devastating moment where they're talking about proposing and Lauren, without kind of, there's no conscious aspect to it, says, oh, you know, Elle will be the one that will propose. And she says it in a joking way, and Elle understandably takes it in a very, um, you know, heartbroken manner because it is the, oh, it's the man's right to do that kind of thing. And so those gendered presentations really make you consider how we talk about things and the language that we do in a very organic manner. Um, So congratulations for that because it can't be easy. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, there's there's so many there's so many um, little parts in that which is sort of you know and 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 it's so difficult for Lauren as well and for Elle because it's like you know they they um they were in certain roles at the beginning of the film and then as Elle transitioned they were just constantly shifting and so like for Lauren who's always identified as a straight woman it was really difficult for her to sort of know how to sort of behave because she did not really identify as a lesbian um you know and there's all a lot of stuff that comes up from that as well um which is you know she didn't feel comfortable calling herself a lesbian because that's not truly how she identified but then that also brought up some identity issues for Elle because obviously she wants her gender affirmed and she wants to be seen as a lesbian couple so I think they, they were both going through sort of different gender role switches and like they were both sort of pulling in against each other the whole time. And we see that with the other characters as well. Even with Peter, Elle's mum, you can see how she kind of struggled with it all initially and she's really honest about that, just being able to let go of the son that she gave birth to and kind of accept Elle into her life and her resistance against that as well when she says, I couldn't even change her name phone. Like it just takes me a long time to kind of accept that and how difficult, you just think how difficult that would have been for Elle as well. Yeah, I I found the, the moment where she's talking about, where Elle is saying, you know, I am queer and her mum is going, oh, don't use that word and there feels like this this overcorrecting, but then it also feels like the, the, there is so much complexity in that brief moment as well, where it's like you don't know if she's trying to be an ally and put her even more or is just afraid of that word and afraid of what it contains. And that in itself, like, it's not for us to really interrogate, but it's us for, it's for us to sit here and go, this journey is really difficult for everybody involved. And... I think that's a really powerful thing is looking at the mum, the friends and all these kinds of things and seeing how the transition affects everybody. Yeah, and I think that for Elle's mum as well, it's sort of this thing that we wanted to paint a picture of, which is, you know, not everything 
acceptance within your family is not sort of black and white like we we often think it is you know I feel like we've seen the two extremes which is like either just blind acceptance and and, you know like absolutely welcoming their new child into the world or get you know get out on the streets and and I don't you know I can't be associated with with having a queer child but I think, you know, where we wanted to sort of represent Peter is just sort of somewhere in between. It's, you know, she can struggle with different aspects of still loving and accepting Ellen and her new identity. And it's sort of a, a, a more difficult, more complex um, situation than, than is often painted, I think, in the mainstream media. Where is the, how do you balance the line of being a director, a friend, and at times a therapist? Because that's that's a, there are certain points where it feels like you are being the support network for both Lauren and Elle. Yeah, it was that was it was tricky. It was a tricky balancing act, um, and there were definitely times where throughout filming where we would sit down with Elle and we'd have you know an hour and a half or a two hour conversation, um, and we we'd go into everything. You know, it would be a massive catch up, telling us all of her thoughts and feelings and where she believes that Lauren and her are in the relationship and then we kind of go to the next room and do the same thing with Lauren and they just they weren't on there were a lot of time they just were completely not on the same wavelength and they were both kind of you know it's suffering in different ways Um, and that was difficult for Francis and I because obviously you want to you want to, you know, either go to Elle and shake her and be like, you don't realise that Lauren is suffering and you want to go to Lauren and, you know, be like, you don't understand, you know, Elle is, you know, having some really dark thoughts and they're scaring us, you know, as directors to kind of see, you know, a window into her um, suicidal ideation that she had at the time, which was a really scary time for us all. Um, So, I mean, in terms of balancing that, we just tried to be really good friends to them kind of independently from the film um, and just be there for them and offer them as much support as we could as friends separately. Um, and we learnt really on, early on in the, in the process too not to, mix, not to mix our friendships with them too much but to, yeah, kind of be there for them as individuals. Yeah, and I think we sort of came up with a rule um, which was like, you know, anything anything that's sort of spoken about on camera behind closed doors, we sort of wouldn't bring up to the other one, you know, so it wouldn't be, you know, there was a sort of level of, I guess, like um, us keeping out, keeping their secrets for a while, um, which was a little bit complex, I think, and, and very complex when we eventually did show them the film because um, they obviously didn't really know what the other one was saying throughout. And that was a bit um, shocking at times for, for, I think, when they were watching the film back. What's the discussions been like with both Lauren and Elle about it now screening on ABC? Um, they're both they're both really fantastic. They both, um, you know, are still really. I think before before this, they were they were quite apprehensive, of course, as you would be. It's you know such an intimate look into their lives. But I think for them, they both have really um, solid reasons for for wanting to do this, and it's about helping people in a situation as them. Um, and they still stand really strong to that. And you know. We've been doing a lot of press with them um, and talking talking about it, and um, they're both just fantastic and supportive, and um, and we're still really close with them, and and everything's all good. So we're really lucky in that aspect. Good, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm really excited for a lot of people to see this because, again, I think it's a film that a lot of people need to to see. Um, what's the release 
in Australia is obviously going to be an ABC but global release or has it been released elsewhere already? Uh, yeah, so so we've done a festival run and we're sort of um, early on into our festival run. Um, so it's it's screened at Cinefestos here locally and it's also um, premiered at Raindance over in London. Um, and so the ABC are screening it and they've also bought it, um, bought the international rights to it. So they'll go out and um, sell it to international sale agents because we definitely want it to have a um, global audience. So they're going to go um, and sell the sort of one-hour version, which is the one that's broadcasting on ABC, um, to international sales agents. Right. So is there a longer cut as well or...? Yes, um, yes, there's, so there's, um, there's actually three different cards, believe it or not. Um, we, how we actually got to, um, got this funded was, was a hugely long process, which took us five years. Um, and we sort of went for every single funding application we possibly could and got knocked back and knocked back and knocked back. Eventually, one of the ones that we did um, land was a 6x10 version. So there is a 6x10 version, which was the first one that we cut. And then from there, we cut the feature, which is sort of our, me and Sam's preferred version, the version that we always wanted it to be. Um, and then there's a cut-down version of that, which is 57 minutes, which is the boss version. So there's three different versions of the film. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So for, for listeners as well, a 6 by 10 is an episodic one. Is that correct? Yeah. Intended for iView originally. Um, so that's how we actually pitched it to ABC was by showing them the six by ten and they went we'll have a broadcast version we went great <laughs> we'll do that <laughs> that's fantastic yeah. yeah yeah as we run out of time i see my my little zoom counters telling me we've got two minutes left is there anything specific that you need listeners to know about prior to heading into watching girl like you i mean obviously we've covered a lot of it but yeah the floor is yours now essentially i mean <laughs> go in with an open mind um, I think people will be surprised with how much they relate to both Elle and Lauren at different times and how easy they are to both love in different ways. So I think if people go in with an open mind about, you know, all of their preconceived ideas about gender, sex, sexuality, um, you know, all of those kind of things, and they'll, they'll, be, they'll surprise themselves. Very well said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you both for your time. I, I really appreciate it. I love doing discussions like this and, and watching films like this because, A, I learn so much, so it's a little bit selfish that I get to, you know, learn something and enjoy the great films. But then I get to share it with people and get yeah. to say, hey, watch this watch this brilliant film and, you know, support these fantastic filmmakers. So I'm both excited to do that, but I'm really excited to see what you do in the future as well. Oh, thank you so much. It was so lovely, lovely speaking to you. <laughs> There we are, filmmakers Francis Elliott and Samantha Marlowe talking about their new documentary, Girl Like You, which will be screening this coming Sunday on ABC. That's Sunday the 7th of November at 9.30pm, as well as Tuesday the 9th of November at 9.30pm, also on the ABC, and then eventually on ABC iView as well. I highly recommend seeking this one out. It's really brilliant stuff. Well, you can also check out some of those interviews that I mentioned at the beginning of the show on thecurb.com.au that we've been doing 
for Sydney Film Festival, including interviews with filmmakers like JJ Winlove and Ben Lawrence, and reviews of a whole bunch of films that are screening at the festival as well, including James Vaughan's feature debut, Friends and Strangers, which is an Australian film, very European in style, very divisive as well. Highly recommend seeking out those reviews. I won't linger on too long other than to say head over to patreon.com forward slash the curb AUs. A little as a dollar a month uh, helps keep us going. Has been a little bit of a while since the last person subscribed and uh, joined up. So, uh, you know, come on, be the next person to help keep this website nice and independent. Would be fantastic. We've got some really exciting things coming in the new year that we'll need your support for. And follow us on social media as well. The Curb AU on both Facebook and on Twitter. All right, folks. I hope you're having a good day and staying safe and all that kind of stuff and doing something that makes you smile. That's really important. Look after each other, be kind to one another, and I will see you on the next one. It's okay to cry. Love this podcast? Support it and sponsor today. Simply head to OzCastNetwork.com for details. Get great fall savings on all your home care and entertaining needs during the fall home care event at Safeway. Head into Safeway and get deals on products like Clorox disinfecting wipes, Swiffer wet mopping cloths, Lysol all-purpose cleaner, Swiffer wet jet mopping pads, Mr. Clean multi-surface cleaner, or Lysol power toilet bowl cleaner. Visit Safeway.com or head into your local store for more details. Offers expire October 31st. Restrictions apply. Promotions may vary.